0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Ann Gordon, here with my friend and Chavruta Yardena Ozband. our daf of the Day, Masachat Yuma, Daf Pe Vav, page 86. Talk about the final stretch. This, we are three away from the final page of Masachat Yuma. Uh, We begin Sukkah on Friday. That means that Friday and Shabbos, Shabbat and Sunday will all be the first few pages of Masachat Sukkah. And then on Sunday, July 11th, we will have our siyum for... Yoma. So we're going to already be getting into the topics of Sukkah and taking ourselves back to Yoma on that day. Please join us. You can register at all the usual places. You can register, um, and if you have any difficulty with this, please contact me or Yardana. Um, today's daf is long. We are talking about tshuva and in and atonement and in the context of Yom Kippur, this is a big topic, and it and you know they they don't spare too many dafim for it. So the dapim that they do are quite long. So the daf begins, I'm going to say it actually begins on the previous daf, right? It's talking about the discussion that took place in the Mishnah about how tshuva mechaperz al kalot ala aseh It says that tshuva will atone for something that's a minor transgression. And then there's a discussion over, I mean, this, you know, we've already had this, over when, um, over what requires Yom Kippur and what tshuva itself can atone for. And the concern here is meaning the concern is that tshuva itself cannot atone for a violation of a full-fledged negative commandment. Meaning, it's one thing you don't fulfill a mitzvah asay. if you don't fulfill a positive commandment and then you do tshuva for it, the implication is that that will be enough to provide the atonement. But the concern is what about if you violate a negative commandment? And the Gemara over there, meaning previously, which we've already talked about, says, um, you know, even some of these are considered a very light mitzvot, relatively speaking. But then you've got Aseh V'lo These also can be considered, you know, they can be um, atoned for simply by Tshuva, except for Chutmi L'otisa, L'otisa V'chol damile. L'otisa means the mitzvah of not taking the name of God in vain. And then it says, and all other similar prohibitions to it. I don't know how many similar prohibitions there really are, but the. And now uh, our, our I meaning, we're out of the preliminary context of where this discussion falls, and it talks specifically about what does it mean to take the name in vain. And I feel like this is something that it's one of those mitzvot that I, I feel like we don't pay much attention to it. I think. We probably also don't take Hashem's name in vain all that often. I'm not talking about when somebody says, OMG, that's not what I mean. Taking Hashem's name in vain in a serious way, you know, begins with, you know, the classic case is going to be taking a false oath in the name of God. But here, so the Gemara is going to address these cases of when do we, when, what happens if somebody, Tashma, Rabbi Huda Omer, Kol shahu Mi Lotisa, from anything that's, from you will not take the name of this mitzvah, and lesser than that, tshuva m'chaperet, tshuva is enough, milotisav l'mala tshuva tola. but from this same sin of not taking the name of Hashem in vain, and anything that's a greater sin than that, tshuva will put you in abeyance, you have to hold on until Yom Kippur comes to provide the atonement, yomach kippur and then and this I keep finding interesting, right? You won't take the name of, you, you shall not, you should not, you must not take the name of God in vain and anything similar to it. And again, anything similar to it, how many ways can you be have a similar mitzvah to not taking Hashem's name in vain? Um, so that I think is the the first interesting aspect of this, that we have a very real hierarchy and gradation in level of sin and how one can Rid oneself of the taint of that sin, and some of some sins are you know quite severe. Um, okay, I'm skipping a bit, um, but not much. The, then the Gemara says, or a little bit later, the Gemara says, Tonight, <coughs> excuse me, I still have this cold, it's affecting my voice much more than it's affecting any of the rest of me. I'm sure it's not as lovely to listen to. I apologize for that. Tonight, he Titania Amachuva so the Gemara says we've got a dispute between amongst the Tanaim, right? Because there's a discussion in the in a Brayta <laughs> What does what does tshuva atone for? And again, it repeats this al <laughs> al So this is perhaps a more precise formulation. A mitzvah that is a positive commandment and also a negative commandment that is connected to a positive commandment where do we have that more severe kind of case where chuva alone won't do the job, you need yom Kippur? So now we have a more specific understanding of what does it mean to have a more extreme or more severe sin? We evaluate them by punishment. If the punishment is correct or the punishment is mitah bayti. You have hit the big sins that need Yom Kippur to atone for the, the essence of the Day of Yom Kippur, and doing tshuva alone is not enough. <coughs> Excuse me. And doing tshuva alone is not enough. The Day of Yom Kippur itself presumably not enough. I mean, we've seen that <coughs> in several places. And likewise, a full-fledged negative commandment. What does that mean? That means that there's, there are those amongst the Tanaim who will say that if you're going to get ma'af, meaning <clears throat> you're going to be whipped, right? That that's that's what a, lot, a mitzvah lotas gets. We're not talking about the mitzvah kar- that will get a punishment of Karid. We're not talking about a mitzvah that will get a punishment of mitzvah Those are already on the list of those of the of the sins that would require yom kippur for atonement. But there's another category which is just a, a regular negative commandment. And the bulk of the negative commandments, and there's some categories, you know, there's some tanaim, there's some conditions, rather, that must be met for these for this to be fulfilled. But your basic negative commandment that has an actual, viola- an act, that is a violating act, gets lashes. So the question is, can you can you do tshuva for a negative act that got lashes, you know, will tshuva alone do it, or do you need Yim Kippur? Um, <clears throat> and this is exactly the machlokid here. I think Yodan, I'm gonna turn it over to you.
1: So uh I'm gonna continue here about, you know, now they're gonna give some specifics of what exactly is a halal Hashem. Um but I want before I get to that, I just want to make one point, which is I think what is clear here from that previous discussion a little bit with the Khil Hashem and is that the one, and we talk about sort of this idea of like blanket chuva or Yom Kippur can atone for everything. But yet, I think we still see the Khmer struggle with that they know that there are different types of sins, right? Some are seem, at least to the human eye, more, uh, or to human understanding, some seem more severe or worse to commit than others. And so I think part of what they tried to do on this page and the previous stuff is to sort of tease that out, right? Like to just say blinkedly. Yom Kippur helps all, doesn't really make sense. I think we all know that intuitively as well. But now they want to get into some specifics about what Chilol Hashem is exactly. So what exactly is a Chilol Hashem? So Rav says, here's a, a, a case for me, right? Rav is saying me, who's like a Gadol hador, who's a very, very important rabbi if I take meat from a butcher and don't give him money immediately, right? So what would happen? People would basically assume that he didn't mean to pay at all. He thinks that he could get something special from him. Now, if we were to list what we thought would be a chelah Hashem, I don't think this is the scenario that anybody would list here, right? Like when we teach this to students or our own children, or we think about it, this isn't a chelah Hashem. I think we normally look at it as sort of behaving in a way publicly where Someone knows that you're a Jew, and you sort of behave in a way that, like, Jews shouldn't ask, or someone could 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 uh, say something not nice about Jews. But Rav is giving like a very very specific example, and it seems to pertain specifically to Rav. Amar um, Abaye comes and he says, ella, ba'atra de lo, tab, de, de lo tabi, Abba, ba'atra de, de tabi. So Abaye says they taught the same in a rub only in a place where they do not ask for money. In other words, in some places it was the, the, the custom, right. Where the butcher would come later and like collect money. But if they were in a place where they don't ask for the money, meaning the customer has to pay right away, this would be the case. But in a place where, you know, people, where they, the butcher comes for the money later, you wouldn't have to pay right away. So it's almost like a buy comes to qualify what Rev says, like say like, we don't want you to think it's exactly what Rav is. It's only in this very specific specific, uh, specific case. Then Ravina comes. I'm a Ravina. Uvata So Ravina says that in my city of, of Machasia, uh, there was th- that was a place where they would go and ask for money. Abaye Kedeshakil Mitrei When Abai bought meat from two partners, Yehavezuzalhai, Vezuzalhai. He would give money to one and give money to the other. So everybody would know that he paid, basically. And afterward, he would bring them together and make the calculations. So he would give each one money, and then he would sort of get, fortune explained, then he would get his change back. So he wanted to make sure everybody knew that he paid. Rabbi Yochanan, Amar, Rabbi Yochanan said, Kugon Miskana arba amot, below Torah below tefillin. So now Rabbi Yochanan comes and this I think sounds feels a little bit more like a Hashem, but again, it's very personal. So he says it's for somebody like me, meaning somebody like Rabbi Yochanan, who would walk for a moat without Torah or without wearing tefillin, right? And so people maybe wouldn't understand that there's a reason why he wasn't doing those things. So they might assume something not nice about him or would say something not nice about Hashem, I guess. And so therefore, uh, you know, for him, this would be a chilas Now, I think it's more what he's saying here is that the chilas is he's not worshiping God or sort of uh, uh, acknowledging God in the world to the best of his ability. And the way that Rabbi Yochanan can do that is he can consistently be learning Torah, speaking of Torah, and he should always be wearing tefillin. To Yitzchak de' Rabbi Anayim um, Yitzchak from the <coughs> school of Rabbi Anayim said. Kol so Hashem, and again, now I think we're getting more into traditional Achel Hashem territory, where one's friends would be embarrassed on account of his reputation. In other words, you do something that your friends would be like a little ashamed that they were your friend or that you were doing these things. This is chel Hashem. i Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak. Rav Nachman Bar Yitzchak says, Right? He says that it's when when, when some, for, uh, for example, if you did chel Hashem, People would say about this person, right? Shrele mara lefilanya, right? That that Hashem, the Master, should forgive so and so person. In other words, what this person did is so not nice. It's such a so not, such an affront to God, or it's such shameless behavior. The friends would be talking and be like, "Oh, Hashem should really forgive this person." Um, and then, so I, what I was struck by is is that all of these were like not sort of the blanket Chilu Hashems that we talk about, they seem to be very specific. And so I think that maybe the lesson here of what Chilu Hashem is, and part of what these amoraim are trying to tell us is, is that there actually isn't a, a straightforward rule. For each person, you need to look at what your life is, what your circumstances are, who you are as a person, what your relationship is to the community, what your standing is. And it may be different things for different people or behaving different ways. It clearly seems to be sort of going above. I, I wouldn't describe it even as going above and beyond, but more, you know, doing things in a way that nobody could say anything bad about you. And so, again, that's not how we typically think of a as <clears throat> job in life, if a person's role in life is to worship God, is, is, is to sort of be a representative of what Torah and believing in God is supposed to look like. So, when you don't behave that way by your individual choices and it reflects badly on you, right? You're a person who has a bad reputation, ultimately, that reflects badly on God as well. But I i, I hope I'm explaining what, what I think is a little bit of the nuance here than I think how this is traditionally explained. Finally, then a Abai comes and he quotes uh, uh, Bryce here. So, here we've you know, famous pasuk, right? From Devarim chapter six, verse five, you shall love your God. Right, that you shall make the name of heaven beloved. And so I think, again, that's exactly what the idea is, that by your actions, you bring more love to God. That when you do things that are hateful or, or shameful, you bring less love into this world. When you bring more love into the world, or you <clears throat> represent yourself or representing Torah and God, you bring more love more love for God into this world. So, what does this mean? He should read Torah, learn Mishnah, serve Torah, Torah scholars. Right? He should be pleasant with people in his business transactions. So, again, I certainly don't need to go through why I think this is also a very, very interesting and important one here. Mahabriyotom wrote, I love right? What people say, what would people say about this person who behaves nicely in his business dealings? Ashrei Aviv Shalim Do Torah. Happy is his father who taught him Torah. Ashrei Rabo Shalim Dei Torah. Happy is his Rebbe, his teacher who taught him Torah. Oilan Labriocha Lolam Do Torah, right? And woes to the people who have not studied Torah because look how ethical, look how moral, look how great a person behaves when he really follows Torah. Torah means bringing more love for God into this world. Poloni Shanlim Do Torah, right? So and so who taught him Torah, Ru Naim see how pleasant his ways are, and how proper are his deeds. Right. And on him it says, Here the quote of Pasuk from Ishayahu, you my servant Israel, whom I shall be glorified, right? That a servant, somebody who's worshiping God the right way, serving God the right way. That's how God will be glorified. And then we have the inverse here of the b'risa. So notice what it is. Somebody who reads Torah, learns Mishnah, serves Torah scholars, right? But he does not practice business faithfully. In other words, learning and, and serving Tamidekha Chachamim means nothing if the practice is not going to be right. And so if you're a person who knows a lot of Torah but doesn't behave ethically right the anti benachadim habriod and he doesn't speak nicely with with other people mabriota mode and love what will people say about him olol laponi silamata ra what was then we taught him torah lola lapishim topara woes to his father taught him torah olol rabochim dotara woes to his teacher taught him torah peloni silamata torah right so it so study torah Look how destructive his deeds are. And how ugly are his ways. And here they have a pasuk to to describe him in this from Yechazkel chapter 36 verse 20. Men said of them, these are the people of the Lord, yet they have to leave his hand, right? These are the types of sins that essentially cause exile. And so... I think there's two very key points to this passage on Khilul HaShem. Chilul HaShem is individual, depends on each and every person. And the last piece is Khilul HaShem is you're not protected from it, um, from how much Torah you know. The idea is that the Torah that you learn should inform your action. And if it doesn't inform your actions and how you behave in this world towards other people, it's not anything to do with your relationship with God. Notice that it's your relationship and how you treat other people but not treating people well brings Chilu Hashem. it actually impacts your relationship with God.
0: So I'm reminded of the, I think it's a perpetual question, right? Of, you know, how can it be that there are people who ostensibly keep Torah in terms of things like the external, I, I think of them as Ben Adam right? God, mitzvah between man and God, like keeping Shabbat, like keeping kosher, <clears throat> excuse me. And then, you know, somebody who cheats on his taxes or so on, I think this I think this Gemara provides the answer to that. Right. Meaning this is exactly that discussion um, writ large, writ large, because it puts it in the scheme of, you know, the the overall dynamic, the relationship with God comes also from the relationship with with people. And I feel like, you know, anybody who ever wants to pose that question and everybody always wants to pose that question, you can just say, go see Yoma, you know, Pevav. go look at 80, 80 86 in Yoma and you will see that nowhere does Torah say it's okay to, to cheat on your taxes, to be unethical while you're keeping the other things. That doesn't mean you should also not keep the other things, but, you know, I, I think that that's part of it. The other small comment that I wanted to make your Dana, on your discussion of Chilu Hashem. I think that part of the way the Gemara presents Chilu Hashem in terms of um, how it has impact on the relationship with God, that it's not just like, you know, the stereotypical kids on a field trip and is it going to reflect well or poorly on the Jewish people, but that there's something that is to desecrate the name of God is inherently going to provide uh, a distancing or, you know, some kind of of blemish in the dynamic between God and those who do the desecration of the name of God. I think it's in the words itself. That's all I really wanted to add.
1: I think that's a great insight. All right. Much more to get to on this stuff today. So, and now I'm going to hand it off to you.
0: Okay. I'm going to, despite this um, frog in my throat, I'm going to try to speak quickly, um, but not too quickly. So at least we can pay attention to what's going on. What happens on, on Amadet is really all about tshuva. And I would say, um, come back to this daft during Aseriyah Mechuva, You know, when we're almost, <clears throat> it's not that far away now. And Yom Kippur is on its way. Um, I don't want to think about that quite yet. But there's an opportunity, if you haven't had time to, like, to to mull over these, I think, profound statements about repentance, um, it's a good daft to remember. So we have a good number of statements here about how great Tshuva is, just how wonderful it is. <coughs> and it begins, um Rebbe Lebi, Ama Levi, Levy, G'dolat Tshuva Shem Magat Ad Kisei HaKavod. How great is Tshuva? It reaches all the way to the Kisei HaKavod. It reaches all the way to the throne of Hashem. And the proof of that is a verse Shemar, Tshuva Yisrael Ad Hashem HaKavod. Go back, you know, go return um, and literally ad Two it, it takes the word literally to say until that far, meaning that's what it will do for you. It will reconnect you with God. Yochanan, as I said, we have a number of of different statements of just how great chuva is.. So what happens? The the Torah says, uh, the how great is re- is repentance? It will override a mitzvah. Lotase, and the the example is very specifically a, a citation of a case, really, from Yirmiyahu, which is the basically the story is that if a man would send away his wife. And she goes away from him and ends up with another man, which is, you know, not the way it's supposed to happen. Can he, can she go back to the first husband ever? And won't that be exactly the problem of adultery? And, you know, how can you ever fix that? And yet there's a verse in Devarim that says, in fact, you know, there are ways that this could work and that there could, that that the first couple can go back together. And then that is indeed the tshuva factor overriding the very strong lotus, Say It's a lotase against adultery. Um, Okay, I'm a Rabbi Yonatan. Gadolat shuvah, shemekarevet How great is repentance? It hastens the redemption. Shne'amara, and again we have a, a verse: Uval tzion goel, A redeemer will come, and will, those will repent from the transgression. So it's parallel: the redeemer and the repentance. Ma ta'am uval tzion goel, mishum deleshavei pesha the the phrasing of this particular verse lines it up so that you can you can say the same way that um the same meaning of A, like the the first half of the verse, lines up with B, the second half of the verse. Okay. And I think I've got two more. I'm Gdola Chuva, donot got. So here too, the if you do chuva, then anything that you had done as an intentional sin, meaning you knew it was a sin. You We're going to do it anyway. Um, uh, can That kind of sin, which seems pretty extreme, can be turned into an unintentional sin, which is a lot easier to manage. <inaudible> because the verse in Hosea says, return, to go to Hashem, and because you have stumbled, you have fallen, you have failed in your sin. I mean, the, the recognition that there's a human frailty that brings the intentional sin, um, and therefore it can be recap, uh, re-rehabilitated, so to speak, as an unintentional sin. You have an intentional sin that is called a mishol, a stumbling block. The Gemara says, Ini, is that so? Reish says it's even more than that, because shuvah can make the intentional ones, not just into shkagot, into unintentional sins, but actually into, into merits, right? That That's how great tshuva is. And what's his proof text? So this is a verse from Yechezkel, and it really says that the wickedness will be turned into good. And here we have two, we're going we to just touch on them very quickly. These two really important concepts of or two different paths in the way people relate to God. Do we turn to God from love, or do we turn to God from fear or awe? And the idea is that, you know, one who turns to God from love, well, those um, those know, those intentional sins can be turned into good merits for the person, and somebody who turns to God out of fear or awe is still at some greater remove, and it will simply be a matter of Again, you're still removing the intentionality in the sin, and it will leave you with an, a shkagot, unintentional sins. And now, lastly, Rav Shmuel, Amma Shmuel Nachmani, I'm Rabbi Shema Notav, Shaladam. Rav Shmuel, Yonatan, tshuva, shal adam. Rav Shmuel Nachmani, I would say, is known for his Agarata. Um, and he says, Great is repentance. How great is this tshuva, which lengthens the years of a person's life? How so? He's got a proof text, So this is again the verse from Yechezkel, this verse from Ezekiel. I'm sorry, it's a different verse from Yechezkel. The first one is in um, chapter 33, and this is in 18. But the idea is that when a wicked person returns, you know, repents from his wickedness, the verse says, he will live. And that living suggests that he is adding years because, you know, had he not returned from his wickedness, he would not have that, um, that statement of living. the implication is he would live less, right? He would have a shorter life. So th- we are not doing justice to this Ahmed, I know you're Dany, you have one more thing to talk about, um, but it is worth reading carefully, and it's not, it's not that it's such um, difficult reading. it's just that it's too long for us to do today.
1: Right, but I think the one quick point I'd make here is this is a joyful task like the description here of chuba is not one of dread or fear or all the terrible things that will happen to you. It's really, I think to talk about like how accessible chuba can be to people. Um, and I, I think I that's true. And I think that's something to keep in mind. My last last point I want to make here is the discussion about the v I'm not going to read it inside because we are really close to our end of time here, but yeah. this whole discussion about v do you need to specify or not specify what sins you did? And then ultimately you know, this leads it to a discussion about the difference of Moshe Rabbeinu and David HaMelech, that Moshe Rabbeinu uh, wanted to publicize what he did. And it's interesting that his is a was that he didn't make a kiddush Hashem, right, which is something very public. And David HaMelech uh, wanted his to be uh, hidden. He wanted his sins to be hidden. And again, they don't really make a judgment that one is better than the other. And I think this is, uh, you know, sort of one of these places where the daf is making an insight that different people will feel differently about enumerating their uh, sins. For some people that may be a cathartic experience and for other people chuva too difficult for them. And I really appreciate it. there's no judgment to it at the end of the doc. They just sort of cite two different models for it.
0: The one last comment I want to make is that there's a clear hierarchy here, meaning chuva is not a fluffy concept here. Repentance from sin doing better in your life, you know, improving um, where you have gone wrong, turning from the your wayward ways is there's a clear hierarchy and it's presented as, you know, eminently doable. Just follow the path, you know, do these things and you will end up in a better way and atonement.
1: Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us review, and review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Reverend e. Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this stuff on our Talking Town Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.